the funniest story I have is I was riding with some guys in Moab and we were um, on uh, Cane Creek Trail and Cane Creek Trail is there's probably about 40 water crossings because the trail just goes back and forth back and forth back and forth and it was the end of the day this guy was on a DRZU 400 and he missed um, he thought he missed the last water crossing so he thought oh what the hell I'll just ride downstream and I'll encounter it at some point in time and what he didn't know was he was at the last water crossing and he starts riding downstream and he drops his bike down into a hole and it, the bike is totally submerged. DRZ 400, guess what? It takes a special spark plug wrench. He didn't have a spark plug wrench to, so that we could take the plug out. I mean, it was such a fiasco. We were there for hours getting him out. I was like, wow, I can't believe you just decided to ride downstream. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you're at the water's edge, stop. Take a break and listen to this episode on water crossings for motorcycles. It's all about your safety, protecting the bike from damage, and then the technique that should see you through the water and down the trail. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles that's been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free and I highly recommend it. That's www.maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hedstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schlag. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Russ. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeBell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Googletech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. <laughs> Well, before you dive into that stream or go through the beaver pond, there's some considerations not only for your bike, but your own personal safety that you need to think about and you need to understand. And of course, after that, you're going to need to know the best way to approach it and make your crossing. Do it wrong and the consequences can be serious. I mean, really dire in in some cases for you or your bike. 
But with some practice and technique, you'll be splashing around having fun in no time. Well, Pat Jakes is a retired motocross racer and now an off-road riding instructor. Pat has many years of riding experience and teaching experience as well, not only in motorcycling, but also in other things. Uh, today, Pat's going to walk us through water crossings, what you need to know and understand before you dive in, and then, of course, how you make that crossing. My name is Pat Jakes. Uh, I'm from Colorado, and my company is ADB Woman. Uh, I am my my mission in life is to empower women through off-road riding. I've been uh, riding motorcycles for uh, over 50 years. Uh, I'm a retired pro motocross racer, and uh, back in the day when I raced, I raced against men, and uh, and so uh, I travel around teaching lessons and doing guided tours and having a great time on two wheels. Pat, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be with you. When you race, um, do you end up dealing with water? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Interestingly enough, in 1976, when I raced at the Women's Nationals in California at Indian Dunes Raceway, there was a water crossing on the track. And the magneto cover on my RM250 was not sealed. So the only way that I could ride that water crossing was to wheelie through it because if I dropped the front wheel down into it, the electronics got wet. And uh, that actually came into play during that race. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I've had to deal with water on the motocross track. But, you know, more importantly, uh, trail riding, there's water everywhere. And some of the most fun trails you can ride actually go back and forth across streams like Cane Creek Trail in Moab. So, uh, yeah, water is fun. One of our techniques that we're going to learn today is not going to be doing a wheelie across a stream, is it? <laughs> well, you know, wheeling uh, the the front wheel across an obstacle is a great technique. And, uh, yeah, it, it can be, depending on the water crossing. And, and if it's a small water crossing and I'm like at Cane Creek Trail in Moab, there's a lot of places where I'll uh, pop up and just wheelie through it if it's fa- fairly narrow. Um but, you know, you get into the big water crossings. No, that's definitely not what you want to do. Well, for today's, <laughs> let, let's stick with the two wheels on the ground as, as okay. the beginner, <laughs> the entry part of it. But, <laughs> but, but okay, when it comes to, to water crossings, what sort of precautions, before we even consider taking our bike and riding through water, I think it's important to talk about the things that we need to be aware of. You know, and, and you just mentioned electrical problems. And I know that's unusual nowadays. I know most bikes are, are sealed very well, but we've got other things to worry about, don't we? Yeah, you know, water is an obstacle that that needs to be treated with respect, and it can be dangerous, not just from the standpoint of if you drown your bike, it can cause severe engine damage to the motorcycle. But, you know, you have to worry about things like if you fall in the water or if you get wet and you still have a long ways to ride, uh, getting hypothermia, you have to be concerned with... Um, Uh, despite the fact that electronics on bikes are well sealed, you know, when water gets into a little connector, it can cause all kinds of problems. And on fuel injected bikes, if you don't have electrical, you can't ride. And, and, you know, I don't want to be morbid or anything, but last year, uh, in 2017, there was a rider that was actually killed, uh, when he fell on a water crossing and got pinned underneath of his motorcycle and he drowned. So, uh, Yeah, water crossings are an obstacle that need to be treated with respect, and there's definitely a right way and a wrong way. 
you know, when you and I first started talking about doing this piece, I'd never even thought about the potential of being pinned under the motorcycle. I mean, I thought about hypothermia, but I never thought about that in particular with moving water. Yeah. You know, I mean, in Colorado, we have, um, some, the, some of the stream crossings that we have and river crossings have a bit of pace to them and the rocks can be, you know, loose and jumbly underneath and you never quite know what to expect. And, uh, uh, I, I don't know the specifics of the situation, but, you know, you can get pushed downstream and then maybe you, you hit a jumble of rocks and, and it depends on the bike that you're riding. I mean, my KTM 1190R is 550 pounds and I cannot lift it. And, um, I've been pinned even on my little KTM 350. Uh, I fell at one point when I was riding and I got my leg pinned underneath of it, um, between a rock and a rut. And it took me quite a while to be able to get up and uh, if that would and I, I was riding by myself so uh, if that would have happened in the water it could have had disastrous results mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not necessarily the weight sometimes it's, it's how you fall I mean I was pinned under my bike this summer as well riding by myself in, in some really deep mud and um, it was no big deal I managed to get out but for a while there I'm sitting there thinking okay what's my approach here how am I going to get my leg out of from underneath the bike um, but the thing is with moving water is if you fall face up, so fall on your back and the current is strong enough against you, you may not be able to, I mean, if it's rushing from your feet to your head, you may not be able to lift yourself up, not be able to pull yourself up. I mean, it's a common scenario that talked about um, when it comes to whitewater paddling. Right, right. And, you know, we're not wearing flotation devices. Um, so, you know, you're wearing heavy gear and, uh, and the water can be running uh, pretty quick. And, uh, it's, it's just an unknown. So, um, you know, I'm, I don't want people be a, to be afraid of water. I actually enjoy riding water crossings. Um, but I think it deserves a healthy respect. Mm-hmm. And, um, when it comes to this, there, there's some things you need to understand about your bike as well. In particular, I'm talking about the air intake. Right. You know, I have, um, quite a few different motorcycles and like on my training bikes, the TW 200, the air intake is pretty low and it's, it's on the side of the bike. It's very easy for that to get wet. Uh, the KTM 1190R, the air intake is quite a bit higher and it's protected by fairings. Um, my Husqvarna 701, um, the air intake is up higher. Um, and I've also replaced it with, um, the stock uh, I removed the stock airbox and and put in a different filtration system. So, um, you know, when we open up our airboxes so that the bike breathes easier, it also means the water gets in a bit easier too. So, um, being aware of where your air filter is and your intake and how protected it is versus covered uh, certainly comes into play when you're looking at the depth of the water that you're going to be riding. And what do we care? Why do we care about the air intake? Well, if the bike sucks water in, um, it's not going to run very long, and you could potentially damage the motor. I believe it's called a, a hydrostatic lock. Uh, I think that's the correct term, where it sucks water in, and then valves can get bent, rods can get bent. You know, it, sometimes the bike sucks in water, and you can uh, clear it out by uh, removing spark plugs and exhaust pipe. And uh, if it's a two-stroke, you just tip it over. If it's, if it's a four-stroke, you're going to have to cycle it through the, the different strokes so that the intake and uh, exhaust valves can open up. Uh, but you can damage the engine um, so that it's a rather costly and expensive repair. And, you know, worst-case scenario, you're in the middle of nowhere and you're stranded. So it's definitely something to pay attention to. 
And some of the the engine damage that you hear about is catastrophic. I mean, it, it can be the engine can be garbage. You can bend a rod and not know it, and then end up you know a month down the road have the rod come through the side of the block. So the, there's okay. some severe consequences there as far as sucking water into the engine and having it um, having it hydraulic and, and lock up on us. So that's a huge concern, and I, I guess that's something we want to think about ahead of time. But you just mentioned about having to pull the plugs out and things like that. That's the other thing I guess we have to remember or have to understand is how do we get the plugs out because. I know, like on a, a BMW F800, for instance, to get the spark plugs out, I mean, you're going to be all day. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I I carry a specific toolkit on each of my motorcycles that is unique to each bike. Uh, literally, uh, when you're riding in the backcountry, you need to be self-sufficient. So you need to have the skills and the tools to be able to uh, to do maintenance as simple as pulling out a spark plug. And even though that sounds simple, it's a big production, you know? Um, and I've ridden with people that didn't have a, a, a spark plug wrench that fit their bike and the bike got drowned and, and, uh, uh, and it was a fiasco trying to get that cleared out. Um, but yeah, you need to be prepared for anything. Uh, and the best, the best solution is frankly, you know, it's a lot easier to dry out boots and gear than it is to dry out the engine of a bike. And uh, I wear Gore-Tex gear and my boots are waterproof, uh, but at least my adventure gear is waterproof. But uh, when I'm riding my, wearing my single track gear, that stuff's not waterproof. But if I have any questions about a water crossing, I'm going to walk it. Uh, I'm going to go check the depths. And if my boots get wet, if my clothing gets wet, uh, unless it's a freezing cold day where I could put myself in, in danger of developing hypothermia and freezing and frostbite, uh, you know, it's it's pretty easy to dry out your boots. You know, you dump the water out and then that night you stuff some newspaper in them and they dry out pretty quickly. But uh, it's a lot easier to dry yourself out and your gear out than it is to dry out the engine on the motorcycle. So would it be would it be sensible to say that unless you're prepared and have, as you mentioned, the mechanical expertise or understanding to remove your spark plugs, should you sort of avoid water crossings? Or is there a rule you would put out for that? Um, I wouldn't avoid water crossings. I think that you have to be mindful. Um, I, I teach my riders to to plan their rides, execute, and then follow through. So planning the ride means knowing uh, what you're capable of and what you're riding. So uh, I'm a big fan of actually walking obstacles, getting off the bike and walking obstacles and looking at the different options and uh, coming up with a plan. So I coach my students to get off the bike, whether it's rocks or whether it's a stream, just park the bike a little ways back and go have a look. Uh, I coach my riders to go ahead and walk through the stream if, if they're you know, if there's any question in their mind about whether or not they can ride this and what the terrain is like, um, walk it uh, because you can always dry your boots out. And this, you know, brings me to a topic that that I spend a lot of time with when I'm teaching water crossings, and that's about reading the terrain. Because if you can tell a lot by the surrounding terrain, um, if the entrance and exit to the water crossing is fairly gradual then I would anticipate that the water crossing itself is going to not have a whole lot of deep cuts into it. If the entrance and exit to the water crossing is a steep jagged drop-off, then you can expect that you know the front wheel might drop down into a hole and you need to be prepared for that. If the soil around the water crossing is kind of rocky and 
kind of clay dirt, you can expect that same kind of soil in the water crossing. If the water is clear, you can expect that the bottom of the water is either going to be sand or rock. If the water is murky or muddy, then you can expect that the bottom might be muddy or have a bogginess to it that you might need to anticipate. If the water crossing is well-traveled, if a lot of people ride it, then there's a pretty good chance that it's a fairly safe water crossing. If it's only used occasionally, then you're going to have to be a bit more careful and uh, do a little bit more scouting. If the water crossing is a Jeep track so that there's double tracks, then you, you know you're going to have a rut, a hump, and a rut. And we know that the hump is probably going to be kind of slippery, so you're going to want to choose a rut to ride in and stay away from that hump. So uh, I spend a lot of time, you know, just getting off the bike and looking at the water crossing, coming up with a plan. If there's any question, then walk through it and make sure that the situation aligns with what your eyes are telling you and what your scouting is telling you. And if there's any question, you know, I've turned around and gone back just because I didn't feel like the water crossing was safe for me to do. I've turned around and rerouted and gone back. Uh, I was scouting the Colorado BDR one time and, and uh, I was by myself. It was getting dark. It was raining. And uh, I looked at these water crossings and I couldn't see a whole lot because it was getting dark. And I knew that I had, um, I was able to camp out overnight if something catastrophic happened. I knew that I had my Delorme inReach where I could text for help. I mean, I, I had my jack to pick up my motorcycle. I had my camping gear. I mean, I knew that if, if worst case scenario, if I fell and got drenched, that uh, I could still be safe. If I would not have had all those gears, I would have just turned around and gone back. You mentioned that at the start. You mentioned about, you know, making that mistake at the end of the day. It does seem to happen, doesn't it? You know, where you're, I guess you get rushed to get out. You know, you, you've, you're you sort of probably tired for the day. It's something to be very mindful of when it comes to this sort of thing. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, um, You know, studies and statistics show that at the end of the day that our brain function uh, is not as clear as it is uh, at the beginning of the day or, or when we're fatigued. Physically, our response time is slower when we're fatigued. Our brain isn't as clear. So that's really when we need to take the extra time, uh, take a few extra deep breaths and be super mindful about what we're doing instead of just uh, heads down, blinders on and just pushing through it. That's why a lot of those stories, those good stories, start out with, it was Sunday evening, it was starting to get dark and we're running behind. <laughs> and then... <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You mentioned definitely. electrical just before we go on to the actual crossing. You mentioned electrical and I just want to jump back to that because with electrical things, you can have immediate response from that and you can also have some long-term damage as well. You know, I'm not an electrical expert, but I have been riding long enough to know that electrical problems from water in the connectors. I mean, it can cause corrosion and you, you're kind of cruising along and you feel like you're doing great and then out of the clear blue, the bike doesn't run. And I'm talking about like connectors like kill buttons, key connectors, and you know, anymore in the adventure world with all the auxiliary electrical systems that we have, whether it be lighting or GPS or charge units or whatever, there's a lot more electrical involved. Um, but Electrical is actually a weak point for me. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I think many people feel that way. <laughs> and and let's face it, the bi- new bikes now are getting more and more complicated. So electrical can be um, almost impossible, while in, in some cases impossible to diagnose while you're on the trail. Yeah, they're super sophisticated and, and uh, especially on a fuel-injected bike. I mean, to me, it's a single point of failure, the battery. Uh, you lose the battery in the middle of a ride and you're on a fuel-injected bike and you're you're dead. And uh, someone was telling me about a workaround about carrying a high-volume capacitor under the seat of the bike that you can bypass the battery. So I'm going to do a little research on that and uh, learn a little bit more about that because, yeah. Hmm. And, you know, ECUs, all that stuff, it's, yeah, yeah. bikes are complicated. Definitely. Well, um, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about actually making that crossing. Stay with us. Adventure trips for women? Well, you should have a look at what Carrie Doherty is doing with Motobird Adventures. Motobird Adventures runs trips in uh, Baja, California and Belize. And she takes out seven riders at a time on each trip, which is great. It's a great group size. Uh, Motorcycle tours run for women by a woman. She owns a company. That's Carrie Doherty. She has done her own long distance travels. She's a certified motorcycle instructor. She has her first aid and, and CPR certs. And of course, you want your guide to have your the first aid certs, of course, when you're heading out on a trip. That's really important. Hey, check out what Carrie is doing. She's got dual sport trips. She's got road trips. Um, and if you're not into overnighters, she also offers some short tours around the Bay Area. So, um, you know, if you're heading out for to that area for business, if you're not from the area and you're heading there for business or visiting somebody or something like that, you should really think about contacting Carrie because she can set you up with a motorcycle rental company so you can grab a bike and then you can go on a short ride with her or take one of her longer trips and you can just learn, have fun, relax and let somebody else take care of the details of organizing a trip into probably into a time frame that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And it's one thing I, I think that one huge advantage to organize adventures. Drop by the website www.motobirdadventures.com and make sure when you speak to Carrie that tell her that you heard her here on Adventure Rider Radio. That's www.motobirdadventures.com. Scott Wright is the owner of IMS Products. Scott is a rider. He's a former Baja 1000 winner. So I guess it's no surprise that IMS Products produces extremely high quality gear. They still do for racers, has since 1976. And their foot pegs are no different. Built as if they were meant to be raced, and they can be, IMS foot pegs are designed to perform for life. And in fact, they actually come with a lifetime warranty and um, they're made in the USA. So that's where IMS can ensure the the ultra tight quality control that they're known for in the racing circuits. And they have the ADV-1 and the ADV-2 pegs. That's ADV, obviously, for adventure and for us riders. These pegs are designed using a cast certified stainless steel, a certified heat treating process. It's full on high tech stuff. And I'm using IMS pegs right now. So if you're waiting for someone to tell you what they're like, I have a lot of miles on them. They have been amazing for me, just amazing. So drop by their website and find out what a ton of riders already know. www.imsproducts.com. That's www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, email, talking, whatever, see them at a show, definitely mention you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 
Okay, Pat, welcome back. Now we're going to talk about making the crossing, actually doing the crossing. And and, um, where do we start with this? Well, you know, believe it or not, um, we ride water crossings the exact same way we ride dry obstacles. Uh, the number one thing on the motorcycle is always to, to ride balanced. And anytime you're, you're riding an obstacle where there's any kind of uncertainty, you need to be standing up. And we're standing up so that we can allow the motorcycle to move independently so that we can use our body to control the motorcycle. So you want to be riding in a standing balanced position you definitely need to have uh, great throttle and clutch control in the water. Um, you can. One of the things I talk about a lot is resistance. Uh, we're used to the motorcycles. When you're riding along on pavement, there's very little rolling resistance to the motorcycle. As soon as you get into gravel, then you're going to experience resistance. As soon as you get into sand, you're going to experience resistance. As soon as you get into water, you're going to experience resistance. And we have to counter that resistance with the throttle. The deeper the water is, the more resistance you're going to have. And the other thing that comes into play is the current of the water. So um, we, we have to use our throttle control to push through, to drive through the obstacle. And I teach my riders that we have to drive through the obstacle. And that means that the driving through the obstacle means that the rear wheel has to come through the obstacle too because a lot of people will hit the obstacle with the front wheel and chop the throttle and then they fall over so we have to plan it execute it and follow through and the op- the follow through part comes in driving through the obstacle with the rear wheel so um the the riding technique is to to stand up balanced uh looking ahead and when you enter the water you don't want to be riding into the water um, super, super fast and have that initial splash come up over uh, the handlebars and hit you in the face so that you're blinded. Uh, I always tend to enter the water a little bit conservatively, ready to accelerate um, as I feel the resistance against the motorcycle. Uh, So you generally don't want the splash to be any higher than your front fender. Um, And, and, uh, and then as the water gets deeper, you're probably going to have to uh, uh, slip the clutch a little bit, maybe uh, give it a little bit more gas. Um, the, the traction is going to vary. Um, sometimes the rocks can be pretty slippery. Uh, so, again, you just want to ride with control. But, uh, you know, I, t- I tell people to ride water as if it's not there just to stand up, look ahead, and allow yourself to feel the, the bike in the water and then counter the resistance of the water. Hmm, I like that. What do you mean balanced ride? So riding balanced. Well, um, standing over the foot pegs in a balanced position, and that, that balanced position changes. You know, if you're going uphill, you're going to be leaning a bit further forward. If you're going downhill, your weight is a bit further back. So when we're on the flats, um, standing balanced over the foot pegs means that my weight is in the foot pegs. My hands are pretty light on the handlebars. Uh, And I do tell my riders, I use a term called framing up uh, with my arms. We never want our arms to be 
rigid and locked and we don't want to have a death grip on the handlebars. But if our arms are loose and limp like noodles, then when the when the front wheel hits some kind of a, a obstacle or, or a rock or sand or something like that, then the front end uh, is going to snap one side or the other. So we want to be framed up with our arms in a power position so that we're ready to uh, manage the front wheel. And, and I talk about managing the front wheel because the truth is, uh, as long as that front wheel is rolls over the obstacle, the back end oftentimes can be left, right, and all over the place, and you can still recover from it. But if you make a mistake with the front wheel, that's when you crash. So, um, so standing balanced over the pegs uh, with your weight in your legs and your arms framed up, ready to keep that bike moving in a straight line. And that's where speed comes into it, too, is when you're making that crossing, you can't see what's under the water in many cases. And if you hit a rock at speed, the rock is obviously going to put you down. Exactly. Exactly. You need to have enough speed to counter the resistance of the water, but not so much speed that when you hit something, you actually you get launched. And I, I actually have a great video of this on my website. Uh, I have a video library on the website and uh, Bettina Nettle, who was one of the 2018 GS Trophy women riders, uh, was riding with me. And she came through the water crossing, and she got three-quarters of the way through, and the front wheel hit uh, a, a rock, a submerged rock. But because she was standing balanced, uh, she was able to uh, correct uh, and, and keep the bike upright, and uh, she actually made it look uh, pretty darn easy. So. Hmm. Yeah, because, of course, we, we know, I mean, we hear this all the time on this show, we talk about not sitting down for these uh, these types of crossings because you, you don't have the same control of your motorcycle. Exactly. You're not riding balanced. Exactly. And you don't really want your weight back. I know a lot of people, um, they get a little bit afraid with the front end. They want They want to float that front end a little bit so they get their weight back. But when your weight, when your butt is back over the rear fender, then you don't have as much control using your feet on the foot pegs or using your knees driving into either the frame or the gas tank on the motorcycle to control it. Uh, because we control the bike with every single point of contact. So, you know, that can be your, your feet, your knees, your thighs, your, your rear end if you're sitting down, your hands. So we want to be balanced over those pegs. You don't want to be leaning forward over the front end. That's how we enter into a corner when we're driving the front wheel into the corner and trying to maximize traction. Uh, when you're in the water, you just want to be balanced and ready because you're not quite sure. You never really know what's coming at you, and you need to be able to re react. Okay, you mentioned clutch a minute ago. Um, do you teach about, I mean, obviously you teach your riders about using the clutch for control and for traction. Do you teach that for the water crossing about slipping the clutch? Absolutely. Um, the way I teach, um, everything builds on the, the first thing I teach is, is how to move on the motorcycle and get one foot down. And we do that with the bike dead. The second thing I teach is uh, clutch control. And I do a drill that's called rock it, crawl it, walk it. And literally we're covering the clutch and the, the rocket drill is we release the clutch out just so that it engages and then we pull it back in and we release it and pull it back in and the bike just rocks back and forth. And all we're doing is just finding that engagement spot. The next part of the drill is the crawl it, which is where we engage and we let the motorcycle crawl forward about 
four to six to eight inches. And then we pull the clutch back in and then we let it out and we crawl the bike. And, and, uh, in most cases we're not using any throttle at all. This is all just clutch. And then the third part, the, the walk it is where we release the clutch out to the engagement point and allow the motorcycle to move about four to five feet before we pull it back in. And finessing that clutch, being able to know exactly where your engagement point is, exactly what's going to happen, whether the bike just rocks or whether it crawls a few inches or if it uh, walks, you know, four or five feet, that's the kind of skill you're going to be using in the water. And you're going to have to combine that with, with throttle too. And, you know, with big adventure bikes, they're oftentimes geared really high. So when you get in the water, you oftentimes have to give it a fair amount of gas and slip the clutch simultaneously so that you get the drive without, without spinning the tire. Uh, the last thing you want to do is, is spin the tire. The name of the game is, is traction. So give an example of when you would be slipping the clutch. I mean, other than the one you just gave there, maybe coming out of the river or something. Well, on the Colorado backcountry discovery route, there's a, a couple um, big water crossings. And when you enter the water crossings, the water is fairly shallow. And so you're cruising along and, and everything's fine. But then on the far end, you cross the actual part of the stream where the water runs through and it creates an indentation. It creates a hole where the water's deeper. And you have to drive through that with more throttle. So that's the point where I'm slipping the clutch and giving it a little bit of gas uh, just to get through that deep water without, you know, bombing through it and, and having uh, water come up over my helmet and my face. I think the slipping the clutch thing is often missed by people who don't use the clutch um, to the fullest that you can, because the, the difference in control is night and day coming out of it. You, you'll spin like crazy and possibly go down, or you can go out with such control and finesse. And, I mean, it looks like you're an expert rider. Well, maybe you are at that point. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you absolutely. Know, it, it just, it is, it's, it's a completely different ride when you're slipping that clutch in those, in those uh, circumstances where you need to. Well, the honest-to-gosh truth is, is uh, I'm not a fan of auto clutches. I believe Graham Jarvis is also in this same boat. Uh, I feel like the clutch is the great equalizer. When you know how to use that clutch properly, um, it gives you incredible control over the power of the motorcycle uh, and, and allows you not only to it, – it's not a binary thing. It's not digital where it's on or off. You really can finesse the bike. Uh, you can use the clutch and the brake simultaneously to get the bike to squat down and, and grip. You can slip the clutch. You can pop the clutch. I mean, I, I had an auto clutch um, for a very short period of time and it actually hindered my riding so much that I was like, oof, I'm, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do when things go wrong? We're making our crossing, and I guess when I'm saying things go wrong, let's start with you happen to stop. You've hit an obstacle. You hit the rock. Like you said, the other rider did. She hit the rock, only she recovered. Let's say we don't. So we hit the rock and the bike comes to a stop. Well, first of all, don't panic. It's no big deal. Uh, stopping in the water is not an issue. You're going to have to be very careful and, and have good throttle and clutch control to get going again. And you're also going to have to have great balance because at this point now you've got your foot down in the water and you're sitting down. So now you're trying to balance the bike from a seated position and, you know, it's um, you have to take off. And I actually coach my my students to 
to practice these kinds of things in a in a safe environment. You know, we do motorcycle starts on the flats, then we do motorcycle starts on hills. Then I ask my students to go find a loose rocky hill and do motorcycle starts on the loose rocky hill. And when you can do a start on a loose rocky hill where you're really having to finesse that clutch and balance the bike, those are the kinds of skills that you're going to use when you do a, a motorcycle start in the water. And then, you know, you've got the added component of having to balance against uh, the current of the stream or the river and the depth of the water. But if you practice on dry land um, and and increase the challenge of the skill, uh, you, you know, a lot of people, okay, uh, I know how to start off the bike on the flats and it's easy. Um, increase the challenge and, and you will be well served by that when you get into a situation off-road that you're unfamiliar with. The water crossings in particular, I mentioned about the rocks, the, you know, the larger the rocks, obviously the more difficult it is for us to make these crossings in particular if we can't see them. But if you get into a situation where you haven't made it across and you've come to a stop, it's very difficult to get going again when you're in rocks. Yeah, that can be a challenge. And, and if there's another person with you, if you have friends with you, then, you know, there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, can you guys give me a hand? Um, the last thing that you want to do is drop the bike in the water. So, you know, if you get stopped and you don't feel like you can get going again, um, don't let your pride get in the way. Call uncle, ask for help, and get folks to come and spot you on either side to help you get going again and to balance you. No, it's nice to talk to somebody with your riding experience and hear that you've had difficulties, you know, at a stream where you decide that, oh, I'm going to wait till morning or something like that. And I think that probably makes it easier for the rest of us to say, okay, well, I guess I can just admit that this is maybe a little over my head or maybe I got myself in too deep, so to speak, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's about having a good time and being safe. There's, you know, uh, the, the first thing that riders need to do before they start up the motorcycle is to check their ego at home. Um, because it, you know, ego will get you in trouble pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, it's tough to do as well because, you know, you, you go out with a group of your friends and it is so easy to get competitive. And yeah, that's when you end up with that story that starts with, it was Sunday night <laughs> and it was getting dark. <laughs> the great thing is, is when you survive those kinds of uh, experiences, then those are the stories that you tell for the rest of your life. No doubt. Yeah. They're the best. <laughs> so maybe it's worth it. You know, you hydraulic your engine, you, you ruin your bike. Hey, it's a great story and you've got it for life. That's one way to look at it. It's a very positive, Pat. I like that. Yeah, it's all part of the adventure, right? <laughs> now, you mentioned dropping the bike because the last thing you want to do is drop the bike in the water because we'd already talked about um, drawing water into our engine. Should we be prepared for this the whole way across? Should we have our thumb on the kill switch? Should we be, um, you know, sort of right there ready to shut this thing down? Well, I won't say have your thumb on this kill switch, but riders should know where their kill switch is. And yeah, I, I call it exit strategy. Uh, I coach my athletes to all have an exit strategy. And what an exit strategy is, everything in the world that could possibly go wrong did. What am I going to do? And again, this goes back to plan your ride, execute, and follow through. And there's going to be times when everything goes wrong. So the first thing you're going to, if you feel yourself starting to fall, if you can hit that kill switch before the bike hits the water, then it's going to hopefully not suck more water into the engine and into the valves and, and, and such. 
Uh, if you don't, then, you know, the bike's going to shut off as soon as it hits the water, hopefully, or as soon as it sucks water in. But um, if you can get the kill switch turned off before the bike is underwater, then you're not going to suck the water into the bike. Um, and then again, once the bike is down, get the thing picked up quickly. The longer the bike lays in the water, the more chance it has of drowning the motor. Uh, I, I actually saw a rider one time who fell in the water and the water was only about 10 inches deep. And, um, she started laughing and was getting ready to do her pose. And I'm, I'm yelling, pick the bike up, pick the bike up. <laughs> that, that's not the place to, um, to do your, um, I dropped the bike pose. I'm glad you said not on the switch because you see this a lot on the internet where people give the advice to have your thumb on the kill switch. To me, that's a recipe for disaster because it's only going to take one hard thump and you're going to shut your bike off and find yourself standing in the river. Exactly. As soon as you need the power, when you hit that rough spot, you've actually killed the motor and mm -hmm. then, and then you, it causes you to fall. So yeah, absolutely. I don't do that. I mean, I practice getting to it. I know where it is, um, but I do not ride with my thumb on the kill switch. No. Is there anything else special we should be doing or considering when we're making water crossings? Yes. Uh, anytime you're riding a surface that is unstable, whether that means sand or rocks, or in this case, um, slippery conditions, mud, the bike, you can, you can say this is the line I want to take, but you're simply going to have to be flexible and let the bike go where it needs to go. Uh, I did a water crossing once, and this, the current was much more powerful than I anticipated. And I saw the current ahead of time, so I entered the water upstream knowing that it might push me a little bit downstream. Uh, it wound up pushing me a lot downstream. And you just sort of have to go with the flow, literally, and, uh, and, and adjust as you're riding. And I wound up on the far side of the crossing on an embankment that was too steep for me to ride up. But I at least got the bike over to the other side. And then it was a matter of sort of walking the bike along the embankment until I could find a exit point. So uh, you, you just sort of have to be flexible and, and go where the bike carries you. In your opinion, what's the most difficult type of water crossing? Well, for me, the most difficult water crossing has a combination of big, loose rocks underneath, deep water, and current. Uh, there's just a lot of factors there, and it'll play mind games with, with me. And, and everything in riding is about confidence. When the bike starts moving around in those big rocks and then the current's pushing and it's deep, that, uh, that kind of wigs me out. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the moment you lose your confidence, that's when you run into trouble. Right. And it wigs me out partly because I'm short. I mean, I have a 29 inch inseam and it's not like I can, uh, start losing my balance. And then, you know, if I were six foot four and I could put my foot down, I might ha be, have a little bit more confidence, but, uh, but I, I can't. So, um, yeah, it wigs me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll own it with pride. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, all great information. Thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about this. You're welcome, Jim. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing thoughts that other people have on their experiences in the water, and um, just get out there and have fun. <laughs> 
I've been speaking with Pat Jakes. You can find out more about Pat at her website, www.advwoman.com. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Now, Pat also mentioned to me that she has a couple of videos that help explain what we've been talking about for those who maybe like visual cues with this. So they're in the show notes for this episode. Drop our website, adventureriderradio.com, and look at the show notes for those videos and more. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener, because it wouldn't work without you, obviously. Hey, we got a lot of stuff on the website, and if you like this episode that you heard, we've got a lot more just like it. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and all the episodes and show notes are there for you to go through. There's, there's quite a bit to see. Also, we have our other show that we do once a month called ARR Raw. It's available as well, but it's a separate subscription, so you subscribe separately. All of them are free, of course. You, you just click on them and listen, and you can download them anywhere where you find podcasts. Matter of fact, you find a place where they're not listed, let me know, because I want it listed there. I think you'll find it's in, in every spot. Anyway, well, now it's uh, it's time to get out there and ride your bike. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, hang on. One more thing. I just want to mention that the show was built on a model of advertising and listener support to make the thing work. So we would love it if you would drop by the website and consider supporting what you're listening to here and helping us produce these shows and even better shows down the road. www.adventureriderradio.com forward slash support or just go to the website. You'll see the support button. But anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker for your pannier or whatever, uh, your toolbox or whatever. Um, anything $50 or more gets you a mention on our Rosh show and we would love it if you consider the patron option which which gives us that monthly um, commitment that you're saying hey I'm going to give a dollar five dollars twenty dollars five hundred dollars whatever <laughs> once a month and we would love it if you consider that but if you don't want to or can't that's fine too we're going to produce it for you and you can listen to it um, but uh, anyway we really appreciate that you considering it anyway time to get out there and ride your bike hi I'm Ben King, the king on the road, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 